Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast here. Jeff Bloomfield, your host. In today's episode, I've got with me Jesse Cole. And this is going to be one of the most unique podcasts we've done because, Jesse, you are one of the most unique people that I've had a, a privilege of interviewing. And Jesse's the, uh, the, he, he's the owner of Fans First Entertainment. He owns and operates the Savannah Bananas and the Gastonia Grizzlies. Still the Grizzlies? We sold that team about two years ago. <laughs> sold the Grizzlies. Okay, so still the Savannah Bananas. You're all in on the Savannah Bananas. All in. All right. And here's the thing. Uh, Jesse is a lot more than a minor league baseball team owner. Uh, Jesse's written a book called Find Your Yellow Tux, uh, How to Be Successful by Standing Out. And the things that he's been able to do with the Savannah Bananas, bananas from a marketing standpoint and the way that he's now helping organizations outside of his uh, with with fans first and his model of marketing and his and his his coaching on how to stand out and find your niche is phenomenal. It's very unique. It's very different. And so, Jesse, thank you so much for jumping on the Brain Trust Driving Change podcast. I'm so excited to be with you and love what you're doing. Great. And Jesse and I have a couple of mutual friends, so it's always fun to, to get those referrals in from people that we know, like, and trust because they see a kindred, I think, kindred spirits in the two of us. <laughs> So, Jesse, to, to give people a little bit of a background, um, before I ask you some of your specific story questions, why don't you just tell our audience, t- tell us a little bit of your story, your background, your why, your purpose, how you ended up where you are today, wearing this yellow tuxedo with your yellow top hat. Tell us how you got there. Of course. Well, I uh, grew up a little town in, in Massachusetts. Um, my parents actually got divorced when I was eight years old. And uh, my father fought to get custody of me, which was a great thing for me. Um, but as that kid, uh, even at eight years old, I was always trying to make my dad proud. And so for us, it was baseball. We would go to the field all the time, practice. And uh, my dad used to say, Jesse, the only way you're going to college is if you get a full scholarship. So uh, I worked my butt off uh, in baseball in school and was fortunate to get a scholarship to go to Wofford College. Um, the second smallest Division One school in the country. No one really knows it in Spartanburg, South Carolina and with hopes of playing pro ball. And uh, my junior year, I tore my shoulder. That ended uh, my career, and I had no idea what I was going to do. I just still wanted to make my dad proud. So I thought it would be going into coaching, but I realized by coaching for three months that I loved playing the game of baseball, but I didn't like watching the game of baseball. (laughs) It was way too slow, way too long, and way too boring for me. And so I didn't know what I was going to do, but I got an email about an internship with the team, and I said, you know what, I'll – Maybe that'll be fun if I can try to get people to want to come to a baseball game, if I can make it exciting, make it fun. And so I took that opportunity and was fortunate to uh, have success. And within three months, I got offered the job as a general manager in a team in Gastonia, North Carolina, as you referenced earlier. And uh, the only way an intern that's 22 years old gets offered a job as a GM is if the team that he's taking over is the worst team in the entire country. Right. And I literally took over Gastonia and, uh, you know, it was only $268 in the bank account of the team the first day I started and only 200 fans were coming to the games and uh, the team had lost over $100,000 the previous year. And, you know, I like to say that is when my professional journey started that day. I'll never forget it. September 2007, sitting there saying, what did I get myself into? And it was there that I realized that we had to dramatically change what we were doing if we wanted to even succeed. 
And uh, I wasn't able to pay myself for three months. Uh, fortunately, I saved some money in college and um, just tried to come up, what business are we in, but what business are we really in? And I realized then we were in the entertainment business. And that's when it changed. And uh, you know, obviously, from there on, we went on to Savannah and had even more challenges and you know, selling our house, having to empty out our savings account and um, sleeping on an airbed. Um, but all of it has been kind of following this path of what can we do to create attention and really do something special that people aren't doing. And um, still, still the boy trying to make my dad proud, even in, into my mid thirties. Isn't that funny how that never goes away? Yeah, it doesn't. So, so let me get this straight. So in Gastonia, you were living off of uh, half eaten hot dogs from left behind <laughs> and uh, trying to make a go of it. Then you, when did you and Emily meet? Tell us a little bit yeah, about that. So again, I think everyone that has any success in their life, they have guides that come along and help you more than you even realize. And uh, for me, one of those big guides was uh, Emily. So uh, she's my wife now. And when I was in our first season in Gastonia, we started doing things dramatically different because no one was coming to the games. So we, our players started doing choreographed dances. That was the first thing. We said, what's the thing that we can do that no one else is doing? So our players started dancing, started having grandma beauty pageants, started <laughs> donut burgers, donut dogs, flatulence, fun nights, salute to underwear nights. We tried it all. And we started creating some attention and fans started coming out because they said, you know what, this is different than a typical baseball game. And so other teams heard about us and we had a conference our first year and I was talking about all the shenanigans and Emily's boss was there and Emily was working for a minor league team in Augusta, Georgia, the Augusta Green Jackets. And her boss left the conference, called Emily and said, I met the guy you're going to marry. And really? what are you talking about? You know, it's like, <laughs> no, he's all about the community. He's all about having fun. He's crazy. Like you, he's got the energy enthusiasm. Just you guys should talk. And Emily was like, I'll talk in a professional sense. Right. And so she started talking to me and uh, we started sharing our interests and she came along uh, and joined our team in Gastonia in 2000, I think 12. And she became our director of fun and took over everything. And we didn't tell anyone that we were kind of together because I wanted her to build up her, or, um, you know, validity in the market. And she did that and then some. And so I proposed on the final game of the season in 2014, sold out crowd, middle of the game, 4,000 fans in the yellow tuxedo, dropped down to a knee. And that's where we met for the first time in that field. So I told everyone our story and uh, thank goodness she said yes, because I had a fireworks show go off in the middle of the game, played the <laughs> game for like 30 minutes. And uh, it was a whole show. And from that point on, the next day, she actually surprised me with a trip to Savannah never been to Savannah. And she said, we need to check out the city. It's beautiful from what I hear. We went down here, fell in love with the city, went to the old ballpark, playing the minor league team was there, 1926 stadium, fell in love with it, but no one was there. There was only like 250 people at the game. It was empty. And it was, it was just a boring baseball game. I was like, how is this happening? And at that point, I reached out to the commissioner of the league and I said, if this team leaves for any reason, we're coming here. We're going to come down in Savannah and make something special. And lo and behold, they left. We made a deal with the city and we showed up. And that's when it got really tough. Wow. Well, I just have one quick follow-up question. <clears throat> this is for all the guys that are listening to see if they're going to pull this off. So when Emily came on as your director of fun, did she put a kibosh on the flashlights fun nights? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, she was so all into the ridiculousness because, you know, I, I, my, minor league baseball, it sounds like it's a glamorous job. But you play, it's tons of games, it's late nights, it's a lot of grind, you know, park poles, picking up trash all day. So she was all about the fun. She wore a hot dog costume every single day. So I'm in a yellow tuxedo, she's in a hot dog costume. You know, it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so you get to Savannah, uh, and then we'll get, to, we'll get to a lot of your philosophy in a second, but you get to Savannah and things 
uh, started getting tough. Now, this is a change. So as the listeners can probably attest, you're somebody who clearly embraces change because you sometimes have had to embrace it based on your life experiences. But in this case, you're choosing. You're choosing to go down there and choose change. But yet, you didn't know what to expect. You didn't know what you're up against. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, we're ready to take on the world. You know, we had success in Gastonia. We got up as high as fourth in the country in attendance. We were having sellouts. We were like, you know, we know what we're doing. So we came to Savannah with all that, you know, moxie and excitement to do, change the world and change the whole market. And um, the former team, you know, unfortunately, when they left, they took everything out of the stadium. They cut the phone lines. They cut the internet lines. <laughs> so when we showed up, it, it was myself, my wife, our 24-year-old president and three 22-year-olds right out of college. And um, we showed up. We didn't know what to do. So we found an old storage building at the stadium because there were no offices. The offices were all th- torn apart, no phone lines, no internet. So we grabbed a picnic table from outside in the park. We pulled it in and we got on our cell phones and we started calling the community. We're here. And everyone's like, who are you guys? (laughs) And so like, no, we're here. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do that. Like, wait, you're not professional. You're not a professional team. You're college summer baseball. Like, no, 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 we're not interested. And we kept calling and kept calling and kept calling and kept getting hanged up on no answers. And so we sold one ticket in the first couple months. And so at that point, my wife and I, the little money that we had, we're putting into the team. And uh, then it got so bad that on January 15, 2016, you know, less than four years ago at this point, um, we get a, a phone call at 445 that we overdrafted our account and we're completely out of money. Mm. And this tells you a little bit about my wife. She turns to me and says, we have to sell our house. And we had our dream house in Charlotte, North Carolina, near our Gastonia franchise, put our house in the market. We emptied out our savings account, the little money that we had. We put it into the team and we found the most dilapidated gross, nastiest place you could ever find in Savannah and got an airbed and uh, said, you know what? We're going all in this. We believe in it. We believe in it so much. We're going all in. And that was less than four years ago. Wow. <clears throat> well, you know, as, uh, as the research shows us and my team knows from uh, those of us who are engaged with this, with the brain trust model, uh, our, our, fan, our, our friend, Dr. Kahneman found that we, we change it twice the urgency to avoid a loss as we do to pursue a gain. So you were in that space where <laughs> risk loss aversion was clearly an option and you were trying to avoid that. Uh, to do whatever you had to do to, to do that. So I, what I'm impressed with is the commitment that you guys made. Um, and, and for those out there who are, who are in the grind of sales every day, you picked up the phone countless times to say, here I am, here I am, here I am. And countless times they said, we don't care, we don't care, we don't care. That's, that's sales. You know, that's sales for most of our, our clients out there that are listening. So the perseverance it takes when you believe in something and when you know that you have something to offer someone, whatever that someone is, uh, is, is, is admirable. So, all right, so, so take us through that. You got things rolling. What, where was the epiphany in the light bulb? Because I want to start to weave in now some of your influences of your, the creative idols that you have and your mentors and, and what drove you to change now the idea of creating attention versus marketing. What, what was the switch? So, I mean, we were calling nonstop. I mean, I, I think we were as persistent as anybody, but no one was buying because we didn't have the attention. We didn't have the eyes and ears. And you, sometimes you can't just draw attention by yourself. You have to get other people talking. Mm-hmm. And that to us is all forms of marketing. It's how do you get people talking about you? And so we knew we had to go big and bold with the name of the team and the plans of what we we're going to do. So February 25th, 2016, we named the team after a fruit. We became the first team ever named after a fruit. We called ourselves the Savannah Bananas. And it wasn't just naming our team that made the success. It was we came up with a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas. <laughs> we named our mascot Split. You know, we had Go Bananas taglines. We had a plan for green jerseys on opening night because we weren't quite ripe. 
You know, we went, went through all the forms of how could you be unique and create attention. And all of a sudden people started talking. And then we said, all right, number one, if you want to have a great business model, you need to stop doing what your customers hate. What do people hate about baseball? It's long, slow, and boring. Well, they haven't seen it yet. So we're talking about it. We're going to make it fun. But also, what do they hate about baseball? Getting nickel and dimed. Mm-hmm. Or going to any arena, concert venue, whatever it is. $6 for this, $8 for this. So we eliminated that. We said, no, what would be the best possible experience? And we made every ticket, all your burgers, all your hot dogs, all your chicken sandwiches, all your soda, all your water, all your popcorn, all your dessert, and the ticket for $15 total. Wow. And we said, we're going to create the first ever all-inclusive ticket. So now that we got our, the attention, the eyes and ears, then they saw, whoa, they're doing all-inclusive tickets. Whoa, they have a senior citizen dance team. Whoa, they're doing a mascot split. And it started all you know, coming together. And they were like, we're going to give these guys a shot. And so that was it. We just needed them to give us a shot. And then we knew once you create attention, then you can get to know who you are and what you stand for. And that would happen once they got to see the experience. So what, that, what was that first season like as you started to see people trickle in? It wasn't trickling. It was, it was amazing. So we sold out the first game, sold out the second game, the third, the fourth, the fifth. They just kept selling. Like, you couldn't get tickets. So there were only five games that first year that did not sell out um, because once people came to the game, they left telling everyone. And it was really cool because we kept thinking, you know, having a pep band and our players doing choreographed dances and a breakdancing first base coach. I mean, we piled it on. Right. And the big concept that we believe in, and it's actually the next book will be coming out, it's You Wouldn't Believe three words that will transform your business and your customer experience. And our whole goal was to get our customers, our fans to leave the stadium saying, you wouldn't believe what I saw at the ballpark tonight. That, that's, that's so good. That was the whole mindset. And I think what I, what, what I was attracted to for you having coming on the podcast, Jesse, was just how transferable this mindset is hmm. uh, across. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter whether you're working for a B2B company selling elevators or whether you're selling insurance or, or whether you're, you know, just a parent trying to get your kids to see that there's a different path. Um, your concept of <laughs> now, not everyone's wired this way naturally. You might be, but I love your concept of figure out what's normal and then do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Well, because normal, no matter where you are, normal will get normal results. If you do normal, no one talks about normal. No one gets excited about normal. No one wants normal. Like normal is just so, and for us, again, what's the most, the biggest challenge with baseball is people say it's too boring. That's normal. Boring is normal. Yep. So we said, how do we make it remarkable? How do we make it fun? How do we make it exciting? So everything we do, we think of whatever's normal to the exact opposite, whether that's our voicemail. And we have a song on our voicemail, our hold music. People call and ask us to be put on hold. (laughs) They want to hear our hold music. And again, you know, all these different things you can think about. What are those normal things in your business that people don't talk about? That how do you make them remarkable? How do you say, you wouldn't believe the voicemail, the bananas. You wouldn't believe the hold music. You wouldn't believe how I was greeted. When I came into the stadium, I was greeted by parking penguins. Literally, people dressed in penguin costumes parking our car. You wouldn't believe the tickets were shaped like bananas and scratch and sniff and smelled like bananas. All those little pieces that you start creating, then you don't have to focus on marketing. And today, fast forward four years from now, we've been so fortunate. After the struggles, we no longer spend any dollars on marketing. We spend zero dollars. And we've been able to sell out every single game now for going on to our fourth season and have a wait list in the thousands. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and I was just talking to, to my ops manager this morning, and, and he loves to take his girls to the – we have the, the – 
couple of minor league clubs here. We have the, the Dayton Dragons, the single yep. A club up here. And, and what we were talking about is, is how minor league baseball is so different from major league baseball because you're going because you want to have an experience. Yes. We go watch the Reds. Well, lately we don't. But when you go watch the Cincinnati Reds, you're expecting to see a baseball team win a baseball game. Yeah. And, and, and go broke doing it, right? <laughs> That's normal. <laughs> Play the game that you can win. Yeah. We can never win the best baseball team in the world. All right. Yeah. We can never win that. There's major league baseball way above us. Yet look at all these major league teams. They're playing the same game. They're playing wins and losses. How can we go to the playoffs? How can we win the championship? It makes it very hard to compete in that. We want to compete in the only world that we can win in, which we think is the best show in sports. And if we try to create the best show in sports, it doesn't matter about wins and losses. People are coming to have a good time. So I always challenge what, what the business is. What game are you playing? If you're playing the price game, good luck. That's a race to the bottom, right. all right? And, it, you know, what is that game that you're playing that you know that you can win and be the best at? And um, for us, it's, it's 100% the experience and the entertainment in the show. And well, what you made me think about there from a, a neuropsychology standpoint, Jesse, is that people, you know, the, the term fan is obviously short for fanatical. And the reason that we are such rabid fans, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, is because we identify with – the team that we want to say we're a part, almost like we feel like we're a part of that team, whether they win yes. or lose. But here's what you've done, which I think is brilliant. In the end, even if you're rooting for the Patriots and they win the Super Bowl two out of every three years, you know down and deep down that you're really not a part of the Patriots. You know deep down yes. that they're, you're just a, a bystander who wants others to believe that you're associated with a successful organization. What you've done is – You've made it not about the game. You've made it about I'm a part of the experience. Yes. And and when I go literally, literally a part of it. Literally a part of it. So it, it isn't about going to watch a baseball game. It's I, Jeff, and my family feel like a part of Jesse and the Savannah Bananas family and that experience. We want others to go to, to join in with us. Yes. And we're we're doing we're doing it all together. And, and that's it makes it very easy for us because the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. Yep. And our mission is fans first entertain always. And every question we go through the decision filter, is it fans first? So to give an example, when we set up our scripts for the night, we look how many times are the fans involved versus us just putting on a show. So to give an example, we have 4,000 people do a dance. Hey, baby, in the crowd. Everyone, no matter you're two years old or you're 80 years old, you're standing and doing this. We have our players go on dates with fans during the game. They're literally a part of it. And so our fans are on the field and they're in it before the game, after the game. You know, after the game, our players are out at the plaza, like when fans leave and they're signing autographs and greeting them. And they're still greeting them when they walk in. Our players are out with the fans. Our players are in the grandstand. Our players deliver roses to little girls in the crowd during the games. We're trying to break down that barrier. It's not us versus them. It's we're in this together. When you break down that barrier, you create something where we're all pulling for each other to win. And that's not win the game. That's just have fun. Right. And the, and the players probably love it. The players love it. And again, we've had to learn this, but like, and it also results in more wins right. on the field. So we've won more games combined over the last four years than any team in the league, yet we don't focus on the baseball. But when you focus on the culture, you focus on the recognition, and you focus on creating something where they're having fun, everything else takes care of itself. So for instance, like in your job or any job, how often do you get recognized by your customers? At our job, we set up, we set Literally, the players to be at the gate after a game, what do you think happens? They get recognized by all the fans. Oh, wow, thank you so much. You did a great job. And they're getting feedback. Like, that was so much fun how you did this, I did this. It's this constant feedback loop, which we all need. And I think every business, how can you set up a feedback loop so you're feeling proud 
that what you're a part of. And that's what we're trying to also create with the players. Yeah, what, what a cool concept because those guys, the players themselves, I mean, what, what do you really want to do? You want to play a game you love and you want to be known. You want to feel known. Yeah. And, and here you've created an environment where they probably don't want to go to another league because they they're feel so affirmed and, and known and part of that family. Yeah, at the end, the end of the summer, it's sad. There's lots of hugs. Um, you know, I, I tell the guys, I want this to be the best summer year of your life. Yeah. And here's how we're going to do this together. And it's about, you know, creating memories, creating moments for our fans and being a part of it and doing things that are uncomfortable. I mean, a guy, uh, Alex Deegan, a six, seven pitcher from Kentucky, very introverted, showed up shy for the first two weeks. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to get on my shell and see how I can make this summer the best and started literally dancing, coaching first dance. I mean, doing Britney Spears dances in music videos, taking his shirt <laughs> off on the field and ripping it around. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> and afterwards he said, I've never had that much fun in my life. And I had the best summer baseball wise I've ever had. Yeah. And I believe everybody, if they're having more fun at work, if they enjoy what they're doing, if they feel purpose, the work and the product productivity and success just takes care of itself. Uh, no question. So, well, let's pivot a second here because on the fans first idea, um, what I want the listeners also to take away is it doesn't matter what your role is out there today. What, what Matt, I want you to think of this, this isn't a conversation about a minor league baseball team. This is a conversation about, doing the small things that matter with purpose uh, for others, putting others first, uh, creating an environment and experience, whether it's for your family, whether it's for your customers, uh, where everybody feels connected. And when you do that, to Jesse's point, everybody just seems to produce at a higher rate of productivity because it's, it's, it's neuroscience. Your cortisol is down, your stress is low, your other neurochemistry is high, and you feel connected. So one of the ways you do that with this fans first concept, and I, and I want to I want to ask you about this story because I want to challenge our audience to think, what are you doing that's similar to what Jesse's about to tell you for your customers to make them feel like they made the high school baseball coach feel whose wife passed away and who was supposed to be bringing his kids to the game? Tell that story. (laughs) Wow, you did do some research. Um, So again, when you make decisions easy for your staff, uh, you're able to empower them to take charge and take ownership. And this is something we've learned. And again, 15 years in this business and um, a lot of mistakes leading up to it. Um, but one of them was like, hey, it's okay for our people to do things and learn from them. And so when something happens, every decision we make, how do we create fans first moments? How do we create those fans first moments? And um, some of the best advice I've ever received was from a, a guy named Darren Ross, the CEO of Magic Castle Hotel. And he said, listen carefully, respond creatively. Mm. He teaches all his, his people, his receptionists, every, listen carefully, respond creatively. So um, when things are happening, I, I challenge our staff, hey, what can we do to make a great experience? And if things go wrong, let's really go over the top. So uh, Barry, an intern with us, 22 years old, um, you know, we call every single fan that buys a ticket uh, online and we thank them, which is crazy, but we call them and thank them. Most times they think, did, our, did my credit card not work? <laughs> right. Oh no, we're just calling to thank you. And uh, so he called this... Uh, this young man and, and he couldn't get in touch. And finally, finally he did. And he said, sorry, they had bought eight tickets. So there was eight tickets for the upcoming game. And the gentleman said, you know, I'm sorry, we, we can't make it. Um, my wife bought those uh, tickets for our seven kids and she just tragically died. Mm. And so Barry came to me and said, Jesse, wow, what do we do? And, you know, I looked at him and said, well, what do you think? And he said, well, we got to do something. And I go, whatever you think is best, but let's try to make this very special. And so he called back the dad and said, Hey, we'd love to have you. 
if you're open for it, we'd like to make this a great experience for you guys and the kids. And he said, you know, it'd probably be good for the kids to get out of the house. Um, we'll be there. So when they showed up, um, we sat in the front row and uh, Barry brought over a jersey um, to give to the dad with the mother's name on the back and how many years they were married. Mm. Presented that to her. And then we had all the players come up and not just sign autographs and bats and bring the kids swag, hang out with them. Mm. And the players hung out with them for about 30 minutes before the game, just sat with them, talked, high-fived, um, hung out. And so the kids and the family end up staying for the whole game, which never happens. Like, like young kids <laughs> staying for the end of the baseball game, that never happens. And the father went up to Barry after the game and said, that was the last gift the mother ever gave the kids. I could never imagine a better gift. Wow. And so that's a, uh, that's a story that we share. And Barry is our vice president now. He's been with us four years. He's leading the team, leading every staff chat, every meeting. And um, because he knew what it was about, if you create moments like that, um, you're really making a difference in people's lives. And that's the deep thing of what we do. Well, it's a circus on the field and a show. Um, really, it's those human moments that matter most. Wow, that's such a, you know, when I saw that story, it was such a powerful, moving story to me. Um, it doesn't surprise me that Barry's vice president now, because if that's the type of people you have on your team and they think like that, then that's the, they're going to produce the kind of results that are going to create loyalty for life. Um, and that, that's the next question I wanted to ask you. So we, I think the audience gets that. Okay. What do you, we, we teach our folks, Jesse, that we know from a science, neuroscientific standpoint, we all operate from a self-preservation orientation. That's how we're biologically wired. You can't help it, right? You're wired for self-preservation. Yes. So you got you to push through that. You got to challenge yourself to become others-oriented. Yes. <laughs> uh, and what you've done with this model, it, it forces people to think about their customers first. And their, their cust whoever their customer is, it could be your son and daughter, by the way, uh, it, think of others first and your customers first and then do those little things like that that can make all the difference in the world. One of the other questions I have for you is really relates to your staff. Mm -hmm. You've taken a staff of renegade millennials, it sounds like, where have gotten a black eye in all the Gen X and baby boomer community of well, these millennials, they don't want to work and they don't, they're not loyal and they're just going to job hop. And, and I don't, you know, I don't believe that by the way, because I have some and we know how to, we know what they're wired like. Tell our audience what you found to be true about your staff and how you've been able to galvanize them to create loyalty to help drive the fans first mentality that you so uh, vehemently uh, believe in. Of course. And we're like anyone. I mean, we we've had, we've had turnover. I mean, it's, it's happened in our organization. Sure. We've been very clear on where that's happened. Um, our first three years, we had zero turnover. Um, and the statistics I've seen is a, a millennial leaves a job every 13 months and people in their life now leave a job every 2.2 years. So I was just, after three years, I was like, oh, we're doing it. We're killing it. We're doing so well. Look at us. Right. And then, uh, you know, about a year ago, we uh, had four people leave us within probably about three months. And there was one thing that all four had in common, which was really interesting because I always try to find trends. And every one of the four that left, they came from the outside. And what I mean by that is that they were an outside company. They, they, had, they worked for another company before working for us. And it was a complete change of culture going from a different company with probably policies, rules, structure to us where we have no policies. We have very few rules. It's just about, you know, be yourself, be your best self. And then everyone else that's been with us now, since we've started, started as an intern, hmm. people that we've hired in the last two years were interns. And what I, what that has shown me more than anything is three months to six months of learning the culture, who we are, what we stand for and knowing how things work 
and then both sides finding, do we actually want to be with each other? You get an unbelievable um, lack of turnover when you, when you do that. And so um, we've learned that. But I think that one of the biggest things that kept it um, better for us is just absolute clarity and simplicity for who we are and what we stand for. And I am like a broken record. We say fans first every single day in our office. That's what we talk about. That's it. And, and, and it's so clear. So, you know, either you want to be a part of it or you don't. And I think right. bring people on that believe in that, that are going to live by that, that are going to answer the phones like that, that are going to greet people like that. You know, it makes it very easy that this is where I want to be a part of. And unfortunately, what I've seen is the people that have left, I've heard that it's been a real challenge for them because it's a different culture. Yeah. And so I think everybody, when they decide on a job or where you're going, test the culture. As you're going to interview, ask every question about the culture, who they are, what they do, what does a day look like, and not just about, is that company successful? Because I think people are looking at the long, long metrics, and uh, that's what we're trying to uh, bring more people in. And I'll tell you that the big goal is uh, we have a wait list for tickets. We want to have a wait list for employees. So we want to create, like, what would it take to create a wait list where so many people want to be a part of it? And you have to do a lot of things right to get to that goal, and especially with 150 part-time staff. So we're working on what can we do to create even a better experience and make them the biggest fans and not just, uh, not just the fans. Yeah, who was it? I think it was it Zappos, the Zappos CEO that implemented a policy a few years back. I don't know if it's still there or not, where they, they would pay you to not take the job. Yes, it was $2,000. I think it's gone up to $3,000. They keep going up with it. And it's, it's very intentional. And we actually did an ad last year on who should, uh, we said, uh, <laughs> do not apply for this job. We actually made an ad saying, do not apply for this job. And everyone on our staff, we interviewed them with film and we asked um, who should not work for our company. Again, being very strategic right. on the other way. But, you know, I don't know. So many companies, they look at their either B2B, B2C. We're, we're F to F. We want to be fan to fan. We want our people that work with us to be the biggest fans. And we want the people that come out to be the biggest fans. We want to talk to each other like we're fans of the same thing because that pulls us together like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, and, I, and I, again, I, I don't want our audience to get too <clears> – <throat> if you're in a B2B space out there, this is the same exact principles. You know, I, I, I get so tired, of, uh, Jesse, of hearing people say, well, I sell B2B. I don't sell B2C. I'm like, no, you, you sell to another human being. Yes, who has hopes and dreams and desires and beliefs and, and, and they, you know, they're trying to find their purpose and they, you sell to the same, it's a human to human. So it's human to human s- selling, not B2C and B2B. So I love your F to F because it's the same yeah, thing. We're, I mean, we're mixing up. I mean, it's exactly the same thing. And I think F to F could actually be even more powerful because you talk about it. If you're a big fan of a sports team or a restaurant or you name it, you will go to, you will go to war for that. Right. And, and you have people that are in the same, you know, going to the same war together. It's amazing what happens because you will defend each other. You will help each other. You will pull each other through. And so we are now working on that concept of F to F. So, so uh, just to reiterate to the audience, if you go check out Jesse's site, you can go to findyouryellowtux.com. Um, I would tell you to go to Savannah Bananas and get tickets, but you can't because they're sold out. But you can try. Join the wait list. You could join the wait list. Can you, can you scalp them? Like, can we sneak in? Uh, what, how, how big security? Like, what's this look like? I mean, let's you know, be it's real. Funny. You know, so it's all of our season. Just I'll answer this seriously. All of our season tickets, all of our, five, all of our packages are on a wait list. But we do open up a small amount of single game tickets in, I think, early April. And those go pretty quickly. So there is a chance, but get on the wait list for those. So when's your, uh, you won't believe, uh, book coming out? 
<laughs> we're about nine months out, probably looking like next fall, but it's, yeah, it's, you wouldn't believe. And, uh, the whole concept is, you know, turning your customers to fans and making your fans your biggest marketers. And it all starts with that powerful statement. You wouldn't believe. All right. So last question, then I'll let you jump off here. But, um, when it comes to the individual person, so you have found a way to what we tell people all the time is, is you got You got to know your why your job, simply your what, uh, that you get to use to deliver your why. You you have found your why, and you're doing your what through a different unique mechanism. So it, to speak to everybody out there on an individual level, if if you could app, if you could just have the attention of a million people one on one for for five minutes, what would you tell them relative to their purpose that you want them to know? You know that's such a that's such a deep question because I think it takes time to really realize um, what that why is. Um, for me, something that's helped is uh, what gives me energy. And I think so many people look at, um, you know, what is it they like to do in their job? What is it they don't like to do? Well, what gives you energy? What, what lifts you up? And so I have an energy list. It's very clear. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's sharing, sharing stories, creating and growing and growing, learning, reading, develop. And if I'm doing all that, I know I'm moving towards something. And then to get to my why, you know, I think I learned this best from, um, uh, Phil McKernan in the one last talk. And he said, sometimes your greatest gift lies next to your greatest wound. Mm. And it's powerful to think about what is those pain points that you have and what's driving you. And for me, I mentioned in the beginning, um, as an only child, uh, my parents got divorced. My mother had a drug problem and my father fought to get custody of me. Um, but he worked so hard that I didn't often get to spend as much time with him as I, I would like and we didn't share the words love a lot. And so for me, I've always been fighting for that love, affection, and making my dad proud. And I think that's what's driven me and my success is to try to make fans of everyone and shower love on others. And now my wife and I have a young son, and I'm trying to shower him with love every single day. And I think here at the ballpark, how can we shower love on every single person that comes through our stadium, and whether that's our employees, our team. So I felt that, that lack, that void that I had as a kid and now I'm trying to turn that into my greatest strength. And I think that's where the why goes into everything that we do. Oh, that's awesome. And now does your son have a, like a mini banana or a plantain suit or what's his, what <laughs> is he? We have amazing fans. And I'll tell you, we, we talked offline about how uh, sharing your personal can help you grow stronger professionally. And um, we share, we talk about Maverick you know, all the time. Uh, we talk about things that we like and PT Barnum, et cetera. And we get gifts sent to this ballpark pretty regularly. And it's very, very nice to say the least. And Maverick's been sent two mini yellow tuxedos that he has worn. Um, but I'm still looking for that green tuxedo because the truth is he's, he's not right. Or he's still right. Yeah. 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 That, that, that's fantastic. And, um, and for the benefit of one of my partners here who is, he, he's finishing up his PhD, super, he, we always tease him right here because he is a showman. Like he loves the theater. His daughter's uh, in New York City right now, and and so I got to ask you. So what? What's your is? Are you a greatest showman guy? Are you a PT Barnum? Like, is that one of your favorites? So right there, that's the custom poster of PT Barnum I made here in the office. I've got PT Barnum books all the way throughout there. I've read every book on PT Barnum. Um, I have watched The Greatest Showman way too many times and listened to the soundtrack almost obnoxiously. So um, I'm a huge P.T. Barnum fan. I think uh, he was so far ahead of his time. And people always ask me, you know, what were your thoughts in the movie? What were your thoughts in the movie? Was it all true? I go, of course not. But that's not how P.T. Barnum would have done it. He put on the greatest show that he could, and that's what it's all about. Exactly. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Well, well, Jesse, thank you so much. Is there any last uh, parting parting words for the audience before we uh, we cut off today? Uh, yeah, so this is on the back of our fans' first playbook, and we share an internal play with everyone of who we are and what we stand for. And it says, be patient in what you want for yourself, but be impatient in how much you give to others. Mm. And I've noticed that with you already today in the show and everything that you're doing. So you're doing it amazingly, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are as well. That's fantastic. Well, well, thank you again very, very much for being on. I'm sure the audience is going to love it. Uh, I, I know I haven't even got a chance to read your book yet uh, when, this came, when this came up, so I'm excited to go, and I can't wait for You Won't Believe. I might even send you a bunch of You Won't Believe stories in the next nine months so you can uh, – I'd love some. If you could, yeah, if you share some of companies that are doing it, I'd love to feature them in my book. So we might be talking offline. That'd be great. Fantastic. Well, have a great rest of your week, and thanks again. Thanks a lot. Take care. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.